Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The title of Anna Voloshina's new Ukrainian cookbook is Budmo, a traditional toast in that country equivalent to cheers or salud, but with a different meaning. It roughly translates to let us be. Let us be in the moment, let us be here. And in the context of the current Russian war, it's hard not to read it also like let us be. But Voloshina's homeland and her culture have survived other invasions and empires. The soil and its riches have drawn conquerors for hundreds of years. And yet the people have endured as front lines have passed back and forth over them. They've grown their produce, preserved their tomatoes. And today, Voloshina joins us to talk about this food and this culture against the ghastly backdrop of war. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This morning, we're joined by Anna Voloshina, the author of a new cookbook of Ukrainian food, Budmo. She is from the south of the country, a small town surrounded by rich farmland, where she grew up eating all the land had to offer. It's located near the places you've probably heard about now in news reports from the front, Kherson and the Dnipro River. Right now, her exact hometown is really as close to the fighting as you can get. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Anna. Thank you for having me. So first things first, we know that you encourage your parents and relatives to get out of town and go to Odessa. How are they doing right now? They're okay. They're safe and they're all together. But it took me some time to convince them to leave. Really? How come? Well, nobody wanted to leave our hometown. They said, it's our land, why do we need to leave? But then the danger became so great that they were so scared and I, I was pressuring them to leave. And mm-hmm. actually the only one who stayed was my grandma. And we tried to get her out of there for four times. And she was the last one who left. And I'm sure she will be the first one who will come back. Oh, man. Have you heard reports from how it's been inside the town, which is at least, as I understand it, it's still occupied by Russian forces? Yes, it is occupied. We know that the things are not good there. They lost the the electricity. They lost water. They lost the power, internet, everything in March. And they're still living like that. It's it's horrible. The conditions are scary. We have no hospitals there. We have no medicine. So it's just um, it's just scary. Now that's not the place that you grew up. I mean, you basically grew up post fall of the wall and the dissolution of the Soviet Union. 
So what was it like when you were growing up in that town, uh, just as a kid? Actually, it was great. I remember a very, very happy childhood, but uh, the country was definitely very different because everyone was just figuring out how to live in this new reality. We had an access to an amazing like world, sudden, all, all of a sudden. Nobody expected that. We haven't traveled at, at all. We didn't know that there is like this amazing olive oil, this wonderful products, this amazing cheeses from France. And all of a sudden, we just got it. But we had no money <laughs> for like 10 years. We just tried to stabilize the economy. And um, it was tough for my parents, but I remember a very, very happy childhood. And one of the components of that childhood were the local foods, the local markets. How, how did that, you tell in your cookbook, these kind of beautiful stories about going with your mother and grandmother to the markets and really seeing the produce of your region? Yeah, so <laughs> the fun part was that we got the access to those wonderful uh, foreign products, but we couldn't buy them. So everything was pretty much uh, bought locally, and we didn't have those supermarkets, I think, until late 90s, especially like being from a very small, uh, small city. We just had to go every week to a farmer's market, and we knew everyone there, so we knew the lady who sold us milk. We knew where our meat is coming from. My grandma had uh, poultry. She had like a bunch of chickens and ducks. So all like all the time when we wanted to cook chicken, we would just go to my grandma and grab one from the freezer. And uh, f- during the summer and part of the fall, we would just preserve uh, the produce, like ferment, pickle, make this wonderful jams to last through fall and uh, the winter, because we have a brutal winter in the south of Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, why don't you talk to us about one of your recipes that's Along these lines, the sweet and sour, I think it's mom's famous sweet and sour tomatoes. Oh, my God. And they are truly famous. <laughs> yes, they are amazing. So this is kind of one of those recipes you you want to keep in your fridge. You have like one of those dishes. So it's a very simple recipe. You basically make this marinade with a bunch of herbs, bell pepper, hot pepper, vinegar and salt and uh, oil and then mix everything together until you have this very flavorful liquid and you cut your tomatoes in half pour the liquid on top and just stuff everything in a jar and keep it for three days and after three days they're like very delicious they're kind of pickled but not um, too soft so you can start like my suggestion is you you want to start after three days, but I really love them after one week. Huh. I just let them ferment just a bit. Yes. My mom could eat them fresh, and she's like, yeah, they're good fresh. But to like to my taste, one week is a sweet spot. <laughs> um, I had not thought of something like that, like a kind of fresh tomatoes recipe as a major part of Ukrainian cooking. And some of it is like the part of Ukraine that you're from and trying to preserve that kind of specific kind of Ukrainian identity. Could you talk a little bit about how you see the relationship between, you know, the the war and the occupation and the fight for the cultural and culinary specific identities of Ukraine? Uh, it's a great question. So I come from the part of the country where we have this endless fields of tomatoes, 
watermelons, melons, sunflowers. So it's a land of abundance. And half of that region is now under Russian occupation. And it was one of the most heartbreaking moments when they started burning our wheat fields and destroying our harvest. They they just like stole so much from us. They stole our land. They stole our harvest. They sold our watermelons in Belarus, which was so heartbreaking. We saw that like it's so illegally and they they stole food from people. And uh, our farmers right now are not sure that they need to plant anything for the next year because they're not sure if they can harvest mm-hmm. at all. And uh, they had to destroy a lot of their harvest because they couldn't sell it anywhere. So they practically was blocked from selling anything. The rest was stolen. And uh, it's just incredibly heartbreaking to see. And we already can feel the war in Ukraine all over the world because there is shortage of grain. Some countries cannot afford to buy corn anymore or uh, wheat because the prices are skyrocketed and we are feeling that the hunger is closer and closer. So just it, it, it's happening on the other part of the world, but everyone can feel it. You know, there's also this echo, too, that you've talked about of the Soviet Union's occupation of your your hometown and how the Soviet Union also wanted to suppress these kind of regional cultures, even the regional down to getting rid of restaurants and replacing them with these you know, government-run canteens. Yeah, so uh, we call it them Stolovia, and I really hate this word because I've been to many of those establishments, and they're just not good. Every menu across the huge USSR was the same, completely identical, not great quality. The produce was horrible, and the only chance you got for a good produce is like you need to grow it yourself or know somebody in a village who will grow it for you or just exchange it. So like money were not good in the USSR because you couldn't buy anything because like the supply chain was completely broken. So the pound of sugar would worth more than money and you would if you want some fresh pork you would go and buy it with a pound of meat or like two pounds of uh, of sugar so it's just crazy those relationships uh, and the system was so broken and they wanted to keep it that way they I'm not sure if they even tried to figure that out and they wanted to control all of the republics and uh, unify everyone and make it like this boring gray mass and uh, they they did it by erasing the culinary identity of countries and the recipe was were saved just by word of mouth from mother to daughter And, you know, what's fascinating in your book is you demonstrate how there are multiple distinct food cultures, even just within Ukraine, right? That there's this incredible regional variation to say nothing of variation across, you know, the entire Slavic world or, you know, former Soviet uh, empire. Absolutely. This was one of my goals to showcase the variety of Ukrainian cuisine and to make sure that people understand it's not just beets and cabbage and potatoes. We have so much to offer. And uh, since we have such a complicated history, and at some point part of Ukraine was in the Russian Empire, another part was uh, with uh, Hungary and Poland, and just like many, many different cultures left uh, their marks on Ukraine. And we also have a part 
uh, our wonderful Crimea, which is no longer with us, but will be uh, back very soon. Hopefully we'll reunite with our Crimean brothers. We have so rich and uh, amazing cultural heritage from uh, Tatars that live there. And I have a few Tatar recipe recipes in my book, like Chebureki. So it's just so, so different. And if you, if you will travel through Ukraine from uh, eastern part to western part, you can see how food is changing and how it becomes more European and uh, I would say slightly more refined when you go closer to Lviv, which is uh, far west. And you can see uh, this amazing European pastry and refined coffee shops. And you cannot find that traditionally in the eastern part of the country because uh, they were closer to Russia and the food is more like, uh, I would say, Sovietish. <laughs> what would you say is sort of a defining recipe of your particular region in Ukraine? I would say we are very much relying on our wonderful produce and uh, the be- bell peppers that are stuffed with meat and carrots and uh, sautéed onion. And then everything is simmered in this lovely tomato broth. I think this is something that is very representative of our uh, cuisine. And my mom, every summer, my mom would cook this recipe at least once a week, I would say. Because <laughs> it actually it keeps very well and you can stuff them and freeze those peppers. And uh, yeah, it's a wonderful dish to have in your fridge. <laughs> yeah. We are talking with Chef Anna Voloshina about her new cookbook, Budmo, its recipes from her Ukrainian kitchen. Um, we would love to hear from you. Tell us your favorite Ukrainian dish, if you're really familiar with the food. If you're Ukrainian, if you've got Ukrainian ancestry, is there a dish that's been handed down to you through the generations in your particular food uh, traditions? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Stay tuned for more with Anna Balashina. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking with Chef Anna Voloshina about her new book, Budmo, Recipes from My Ukrainian Kitchen. And we're taking your calls. If you've got some Ukrainian ancestry, is there a dish that's been handed down to you? Or if you're just familiar with the cuisine, do you have a favorite Ukrainian dish? The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. So, Anna, you produced this book before the war, this really beautiful book for which you shot all the photos and created all the recipes. If you were releasing it now after the war had begun, how what would you have done differently, if anything? Oh, my God, this is a tough question. So, first of all, I would change the spelling of borscht because <laughs> I have a Russian spelling, which is the most common one, and I would change it to Ukrainian spelling. So it's not a huge deal, but it is to me, kind of. Uh-huh. So I would change that. Wait, and what's the Ukrainian spelling? Oh, my God. It's uh, B-O-R-C-H. Uh, Got it. Yeah. It's slightly different, barely different, but I, I feel like this is the right thing to do since borscht is a Ukraine, the most beloved Ukrainian dish. So I think it needs to be all the way Ukrainian. And probably I would maybe remove a couple of Russian dishes in my book. Although I know that everybody in Ukraine love uh, making them, but I feel it's such a tender subject right now, so I would just not push that button. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about borscht. I, I do think a lot of people out there might be thinking to themselves, wait, I thought borscht was Russian. No, it's not Russian. It's Ukrainian. We have it in our blood, I think. Ukrainians truly love the the borscht, and uh, we have songs about borscht. We have poems about borscht. It's just like so deep, deeply rooted in our culture, and we are we are happy to share it. But but I I want everyone to know it's Ukrainian. Please cook it, make it, uh, share it with your friends. And I know that people in Hong Kong grew up eating borscht, which was a revelation to me. And I just want people to know it comes from Ukraine. That's it. <laughs> also, the first thing I ever made for my now wife. Um, I don't know why I thought that would be a particularly impressive thing to make, but that was that was what I made. Um, <laughs> Let's get to, well, actually, let's talk about borscht a little bit more because you actually have three different borscht recipes, which are sort of for different times of year, but also seem to kind of try to present the the great variety of Ukraine. Yeah, well, borscht is actually very diverse. And if you will travel throughout the country, you will find many variations. So uh, where I come from, we make it with tomatoes and the borscht is always red, never uh, pink. And here I actually found this wonderful hot pink bits. And my borscht most of the time is very much uh, magenta. But <laughs> in uh, in the south, it's always very red. And we use those uh, either tomato pa- paste or fresh tomatoes to bring this complexity and the start notes. So one of the most um, important characteristics of borscht is it needs to be slightly sour. And uh, that's what makes borscht borscht. And uh, for the green borscht, um, we use green sorrel, which is very tart, and it's beautiful and luscious. And I have the recipe in my book. And um, in the 
northern part of the country, people make beet kvass. They ferment it. It's very sour, so they add a splash of that to make the borscht more interesting and complex. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's a very time-consuming project, project, like to make kvass and then make borscht. And I hope more and more people will start making that because this is cool. This is what makes life interesting, like trying different things and uh, keeping traditions alive. And kvass is like a... It's a beverage, right? I mean, it's like a fermented beverage. It's a sour fermented beverage. It can be sweet. When you make it with bread, you can add some uh, honey or sugar. But for borscht, bitkwas is very sour and it's uh, fizzy, carbonated, wonderful. Yeah. Also, for those uh, wondering about sorrel, it is uh, a green. Would you say it's closer to like arugula or mustard greens or something like that? Ah, I would say mustard greens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very luscious. It's very, very uh, tart. And uh, you can use it in borscht, but I would not recommend to use only uh, sorrel. I usually uh, mix it with spinach to just balance the flavor mm-hmm. and make it um, tart, but not too much. Also, you know, we haven't talked about how you came to San Francisco, but one of the things that I know is when you first arrived, you didn't have a good sorrel supplier. Can you talk to us about, you know, what it was like? You know, I know that your husband works in the technology industry and you arrive in San Francisco at 21, right? Yeah. So um, we came here for my husband's work and um, guys from his uh, work just like took care of us. They showed us uh, some places to buy food and like make they took us to a cheesecake factory, and I was horrified. <laughs> They're like, welcome to America. Yes. It's a cheesecake factory. And I'm like, what is that? Why is it so big? What's wrong with this cheesecake? And uh, then I went to Safeway, and I'm like, oh, my God, I will starve here because I, I saw that those pale tomatoes, and, and I almost cried, and the prices were so high. So I'm like, oh, my God. Then I went to Whole Foods. It was better, but the prices is the prices are crazier. And then, like, suddenly I discovered the farmer's market culture here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing about farmer's market reminded me of uh, home, of our local bazaars. And uh, I thought, okay, I'll survive here. And I fa- slowly but surely, I found uh, uh, my favorite producers. I found my favorite farms. And uh, now I'm very, very happy. And my fridge is well stocked. And I go to Ferry Buildings Farmer's Market every Saturday with my puppy. And he helps me <laughs> to choose the best produce. That's great. I haven't tried to use my puppy to choose produce, but uh, that's next on my <laughs> next on my list. That's how people remember me now. <laughs> when I come without my puppy, they don't recognize me. <laughs> um, let's bring in our first caller. Some calls uh, coming in here. Jackie in Berkeley. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to share that um, my great grandmother Betty Badalin, who escaped the pogroms, they're Jewish um, in the Ukraine from Odessa. Um, came to the United States and started making knish, which is a really delicious pastry, very flaky, full of potatoes and onions. And um, she one time was tricked into catering her own birthday party at the synagogue because they were so popular. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk to us about um, that food in particular? And maybe we also have a, uh, a commenter who'd like to know about the relationship between Ukrainian and Jewish cuisine and whether there's any Jewish-Ukrainian recipes in the book. Oh, yes. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. 
So uh, we are very much a carb-forward country, and we have a lot of different pastries, sweet and savory. And uh, Odessa is such a wonderful place to explore different um, dishes and different styles of Ukrainian cuisine. So uh, I think, I believe that Odessa has the largest Jewish population in Ukraine, and they have their like own dishes that like most of the time they only make there like forschmak and um, it's just like I have Odessa forschmak in my book and it's wonderful it's basically a mousse made of uh, herring and it's it, I promise it's delicious it sounds what <laughs> it sounds weird but it's delicious and my whole family is in Odessa right now so they they are exploring the cuisine and my mom just called me yesterday and she's like oh my god I'm making this truly Jewish dish I'm like what's it what's in it she's like it's a fish cutlet and it's basically the small anchovies that are chopped and then they're like mixed with flour and egg and they're fried and they're like kind of like uh, squished meatballs but <laughs> not meat just fish and she said she like made some mashed potato for those and I'm like okay sounds weird and she said she sweared this is the most delicious <laughs> dish she cooked in a while so yeah um, we have a lot of that uh, conversations right now in our family that's fun. Yeah. And then also, the- if you're, for people who might be wondering what the forschmuck looks like, it's kind of, you know, it's a sort of uh, herring mousse that you'd spread on toast. And in your book, you pre- present it with um, a little fish roe on top and some onions. Yes. I wanted to make it slightly more fancy and maybe more appealing to people. Mm-hmm. I, I really want them to try it. And most of the time, when they don't know what it, that is, they just like loving it. But when I say this is a herring mousse, they're like, oh, I'm good. Good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that might that might be me. The, uh, the the creamed fish thing sometimes. Yeah, but I will. I will. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll make it. I, uh, my wife will probably love it. Um, let's bring in another called Patrick in San Francisco. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for the show. This is really a great show, and uh, appreciate the subject matter. So last night I was uh, drinking kefir, and I read the bottle for the first time, and I was like amazed that it's from Ukraine. It's from a Ukrainian immigrant, came here, no no, uh, keeper, so he started making it back in 1986. Hmm. And um, I was wondering if there's other sources of kefir in the Bay Area as well. I thought that's like a Bay Area connection to Ukraine right there, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you want to, I know that there's a variety of sort of Things that Ukrainians do with dairy, <laughs> like the cheese sear. Uh, if you want to talk about, you know, yeah. what what that's been like to be able to get those kind of sour dairy products and kind of farmers cheesy type things. Of course. So first of all, kefir is is wonderful. We love it in Ukraine, and we cook a lot of things with it. So I have a recipe for um, Ukrainian pancakes, which are called olatki, and I used. Uh, yogurt in it but traditionally my mom always used kefir so you can uh, substitute and just increase the amount of flour to make uh, the consistency right and you can definitely use that in your baking or like in your pancakes 
And uh, we love everything tart, as I mentioned before. So our food is pretty rich and intense. So we want to cut that richness by adding some interesting flavors. And of course, sour cream, we call it smetana. It's just something we always have in our fridge. And we put it on everything from borscht to desserts. And uh, I have a sour cream ice cream in my book. I put sour cream on top of my pancakes and uh, crepes and uh, cheese fritters, basically everywhere <laughs> in, throughout the book. This is the most popular ingredient. And another popular ingredient, which is also uh, kind of sour, it's our uh, cheese. And uh, oh my God, it's so complicated. We call it sir in Ukraine. And a.k.a. Tvarog, but sir means any ch- any cheese in Ukraine. Like, it's it's the literally translation of cheese is sir. But that specific kind of soft, uh, very fresh, tangy cheese we also call sir, um, which, is, which is very confusing. It's a cheese you love so much that che- you named all cheese after oh, it. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. True. And uh, I have uh, a bunch of recipes where I use this cheese, so I decided, okay, since... Not everyone can can get it from a Eastern European market. I need to add this cheese recipe in my book. And it's actually very, very simple. You just use whole milk. You let it get sour by adding uh, a little bit of kefir or yogurt. You just stir it in and the bacteria start to work. And in a day or two, you will have this a kind of thin uh, yogurt-like consistency, and you heat it up, and uh, the milk will produce this wonderful curds, and you strain it, and you have this wonderful, amazing cheese you can enjoy just by itself with a dollop of fruits and honey, or you can use it in your savory or sweet dishes. Yeah. We are talking with the chef Anna Voloshna about her new cookbook, Budmo, Recipes from My Ukrainian Kitchen. It's part of our All You Can Eat series on the food cultures of the Bay Area. And we're taking some of your questions as well. You can tell us your favorite Ukrainian dish. Maybe you want to talk more about borscht. Seems like people might want to do that. (laughs) And if you've got Ukrainian ancestry, is there a dish that you've been handed down that you still make or or want to make? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. One of the things that I tried yesterday was to make your sort of stuffed fried bread situation, (laughs) um, which is really amazing and and turned out beautifully. And in fact, my oldest kid said, if this is what Ukrainian food is like, I want to eat Ukrainian food every day. Um, So I feel like that really worked. Um, Can you describe, you know, I think of Ukraine as having so much wheat. So there's all these kind of incredible breads in this book that maybe people aren't totally expecting. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, we love our carbs and uh, everything that that has this like uh, qualities like we bake, we fry, we deep fry, we shallow fry, we do everything with dough and it can be yeasted or just um, just a simple batter. So I have quite a few recipes in there. I have a lot of dumplings, which we call vareniki, and they're basically this 
the same as pierogies, but we call them vareniki, and we don't fry them, we boil them. Mm-hmm. And then I have a ton of fried breads, uh, like this uh, bilashi, uh, which is um, yeasted dough, and it's very, very fluffy, and you stuff it with uh, ground chicken, green onions, and you fry them until they are like very, very fluffy, pillowy, and golden brown delicious and they're so juicy inside it's just one of my childhood favorite dishes and uh, the best best part is that dough is so versatile you can stuff it with basically anything you want uh, and my husband's favorite thing is grated apples with a little bit of sugar and cinnamon you mix everything together stuff this uh, dough with that and fry and it's so beautiful and he could eat those all day long for breakfast, lunch and dinner <laughs> and uh, it's just this is just a lovely pastry I mean that dough it's also extremely simple I've been obsessed with making bread since we had Reem a seal on the show on particularly flatbreads <laughs> and this one was just so simple you don't have to get the the, the, the mixer down, nothing. You're doing it by hand. And it, they did. They turned out so pillowy and soft. And it, it was pretty. I'm so happy. That was one of my goals for this book, to make recipes approachable and to make sure that anyone can, can make that them, even if they're living in the, the, in the middle of nowhere and they have uh, all the basic ingredients, they can still make pretty much anything from this book. Yeah. Um, I know you've been getting a lot of uh, questions about the title of this book, uh, Budmo, and you know we kind of talked about it a little bit at the at the top that it's a you know a traditional toast. I was wondering, you know, here in the local Bay Area community, I mean, are you able to find a lot of people to like say Budmo to? Like, are you able to find like the kind of community that you that you yes. want? Yes. Oh my God, we got so much support. Uh, from everyone here. When the war started, I I started posting on Instagram, like right away, everything that happened with my family, with Ukraine, and uh, spreading the news and uh, raising money, doing uh, pop-ups and classes. And uh, the community was there for me right away. And I have so many people to say Putmo with. It's just crazy. And I still feel this support and people... People did not forget us. I At some point, I was so scared that people are tired and uh, they have other things to do except for following Ukrainian news. And uh, it's not like that. Everyone is so amazed by Ukrainian people and uh, myself included. Yeah. And I think uh, one of those hashtags was cook for Ukraine, right? Which was Yes. Yes. We raised a lot of money with that hashtag. Yeah. We're talking with Chef Anna Veloshina about her new cookbook, Budmo, Recipes for My Ukrainian Kitchen, part of our All You Can Eat series on the food cultures of the Bay Area. Love to hear from you. Is there a Ukrainian food that surprised you? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum, or the emails forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more on Ukrainian cuisine.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Anna Voloshina about her new cookbook, Budmo. Uh, we are going to bring in Peter in Oakland. Welcome, Peter. How are you doing? Hey, doing well, doing well. What's your story? Um, so I'm first-generation Ukrainian. Uh, my family's from Western Ukraine. Um, I went to Ukrainian school, Ukrainian church as a child in the diaspora of America. And um, I would like to talk about a Western Ukrainian dessert called mm. Pyatsuk. It's a mix between pie and cake. And it's so difficult for me to explain it to Americans of what it is. <laughs> What's the name again? Sorry. Pyatsuk. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, my husband loves Blatsky. He loves it. He's from the Western part of Ukraine as well. And one thing he asked me to make when we just got dating, he's like, make me a Platsok. And I'm like, I don't know what that is because I'm from the different part of Ukraine. And I had to go to his mom so she would share uh, the recipe with me. And actually that recipe involves kefir. At least her recipe. I don't know about the one you grew up eating, but she makes it with uh, kefir and she makes it very like uh, the dough is very fluffy and uh, she serves it actually with uh, a little bit of salt. So it's a savory dish uh, in their kitchen. Oh, wow. So interesting. Um, hey, Peter, thanks so much for, for that call. I love when we can uh, remind people of some of their, their favorite dishes. You know, one thing that I've uh, noticed both in your in your book and also the way that you, you talk about Ukrainian cooking is that this really seems like for you like a matrilineal uh, tradition. Like it's always the women cooking. It's grandma. Are, aren't there any men who cook Ukrainian food? I mean... Or is it really something that is passed down, like, you know, grandma to mom to daughter? I think in most families, it's usually women who cook. Uh, In uh, chef's world, mostly, it's a man's world. Even if you just go and see, like, the most famous restaurants in Ukraine, you will see that they're mostly uh, owned and operated by uh, man chefs. So uh, it's kind of weird. So uh, women are, like, sustaining everyone, cooking for the family, while mm-hmm. men just go and have fun in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not fair. Yeah. But uh, I think this is also some sort of, like, keeping this connection with uh, between, like, women. They're sharing recipes. Uh, and I myself spend a lot of time in the kitchen with my grandma and my mom, not actually cooking, but just talking to them, mm. watching how they make everything, tasting, uh, helping. But they, our family is, I'm not sure if it's in every family, but they're very bossy in the kitchen. And they're <laughs> like, we don't need any help. You are too little. So they just like 
let me do the the simple work like arranging dumplings and like choosing pickles <laughs> maybe setting the table but no complicated than that and uh, after i got married they accepted me in their circle and now i cook everything with them <laughs> <laughs> i i also heard you would get some of the real scut work like where you would have to you know do the cherries right oh my you, god i hated that so so much i i love the uh the end product <laughs> but the whole thing you just need to get up on the cherry tree pick all the cherries and then you need to take out the pits with a safety pin oh my god that was the horrible job and in the end of the day my hands were just like deep deep uh almost brown <laughs> oh man Ah, yeah. Those I I grew up in a fruit heavy uh yard and there yeah, there's there's some work with the fruit trees. <laughs> um Bertie in Lafayette, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Um you touched on it a little bit earlier with Sorrel and I may have missed it, but I'm trying to find either Sorrel leaves or sh- to make shav um with my mother-in-law or to find it made uh, jarred or something on a in a market or maybe in a restaurant so maybe you have some advice mm. so my advice is first of all ask around and you might be surprised by how many people are actually growing sorrel and uh Uh, if you cannot find anyone in your circle go to Ferrer Building Farmers Market and just in front of uh, um in the it's in the corner near the Almanac Beer there is a lovely lady uh who sells sorrel she sells all kinds of different greens and flowers and she sells the best sorrel mm. and uh just go to your farmers and ask them to bring sorrel they probably are growing it but they don't it's not that popular so uh, they don't bring it to the farmers market but if you will say okay i need it next week they will bring it to you yeah i've had pretty good luck growing it too birdie so you can always try that too um let's go uh straight to uh Zoya in San Francisco. Welcome Zoya. Hi. Hi, welcome. Uh, Hello. Well, um yeah, I'm I'm thrilled and delighted with this program. I love it because this is what I grew up with and uh, um I was a child. I was born in Ukraine and uh, my parents had to endure the first uh, Russian occupation of Ukraine uh right after World War II when when Ukraine was a uh, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire not part of Russia and so my parents had to leave otherwise we would have wound up in Siberia because my parents were educated and um uh we came to New York and uh, when i was 10 and we could only we were allowed to speak only Ukrainian at home because my parents were afraid the language and the culture will be destroyed and in Ukraine so it might survive only in the diaspora so we not only spoke ukrainian but my mother cooked only ukrainian uh dishes especially for christmas and um uh, but every day <laughs> of course and so things like vareniki holubci borscht the plyatsky that the previous a person was talking about um and except that we called a plyatsky uh, what's called maldiruni which is potato pancakes um but we were amazed in new york city when um a lot of the foods we knew as ukrainian uh, like borscht and knish and blintzes were named as uh, jewish um uh, specialties and foods and these were 
uh, commercialized by Ukrainian Jews that came uh, in various stages of Jewish immigration. And um, it was um, uh, uh, commercialized and, and sold as uh, kosher um, Manischewitz borscht, which we were just amazed <laughs> that our foods were so popular. But we, we, had, to sa- we had to safeguard, um, you know, because we were in school. I was always told that I'm Russian. You know, no, there is no such country as Ukraine. It's Russia. There is no such, lang- uh, such language. It's, it's Russian language and it's a dialect. So we had to battle the, the um, journalistic uh, field. And in school, we had to uh, argue with the teachers that, no, we're not Russians. It was Jew- uh, Russian propaganda to make all the republics um, uh, sound like they are all Russian and not forcibly annexed to Russia at mm. Uh, which is what had happened in Ukrainian uh, post-World War II history. Zoya, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. You know, I, I just want to let you respond, Donna. I feel like it must be kind of heartwarming to hear someone who's been kind of on the same kind of trajectory of keeping this culture for so long. Thank you so much, Zoya, for sharing your story. And um, it, it's heartbreaking and uh, the worst part is it's happening today to this day. It started a long time ago, and they they don't want to stop. Russia just wants to erase Ukraine, and uh, this war in particular is so, so heartbreaking. And uh, we're not fighting for territory. We are fighting for our country, for our identity, for our language. And uh, they would not allow us to speak Ukrainian ever if those Uh, regions that are annexed right now will stay with Russia, they will suffer greatly. They will be completely re-educated. The history will be rewritten. And it's just, it's horrible. So I want people to understand what we are fighting for. We are fighting for our nation, for our survival. And uh, we want to live as we please. We want to be independent. Thanks so much for that call, Zoya. I really love that, uh, those, the, the consonants of those stories. Um, we have a couple more Borscht questions coming in. Uh, perhaps not surprising. Um, one listener writes in to say, a Ukrainian-born friend passed on an amazing Borscht recipe with ground pork served hot with sour cream. I began making this hearty soup in March of 2020. I've been making it on a regular basis since. Ingredients are all fresh, organic, either homegrown or from the local farmer's market. We are so fortunate here. And to tack on the other uh, Borscht question, Richard writes, is Borscht supposed to be thick and creamy or thin and watery? Oh, my God. Neither. <laughs> it needs to be thick. So uh, the best uh, description is you need to put your, uh, when your borscht is done, you need to put your ladle in the pot and it needs to stand up. So you, huh. you need this a lot of ingredients there. So it's very, very full of vegetables. But it's not creamy per se. It's uh, it's broth and um, and vegetables and meat. But what makes it creamy is when you put the borscht uh, into your bowl and top it with sour cream. And then it transforms into this amazing uh, creamy soup. Uh, but when you make it, it, don't add sour cream because it will separate and it's, it will create the whole mess. Finish it with sour cream. That's my advice. Yeah. Do you know a place where people can try the kind of borscht that you're talking about? 
in the yes, Bay Area. Yes, I will shamelessly promote our event, which is with 18 Reasons. We're doing a community dinner and I will make vegetarian borscht with pampushki. And pampushki is uh, a garlic bread, which is wonderful. And it's traditionally served with borscht. And uh, I will make sure to have enough sour cream for everyone. So this is a very uh, simple event I do uh, pretty much once a year with uh, 18 Reasons. And the last time we made hachapuri, the year before I made uh, meat borscht. And this year I want to make a vegetarian borscht so everybody can come and try it. And for those who don't know, 18 Reasons is a nonprofit cooking school over by the kind of original Tartine location. Really beautiful place for, for pop-ups and other uh, kinds of things. Um, let's get to another caller. Courtney in Oakland. Welcome. Hi. Um, I will, First, I want to say thank you for just highlighting the, all the different food of Ukraine. And my grandparents are from Ukraine. I have family there. And... Uh, whew, and um, it's, it's been such a revelation because a lot of the traditions that they grew up with were lost during the war and during the Soviet Union. Um, and the one thing, the two things we always had on holidays were pierogi, which is what we called them as kids, um, and uh, kasha. And I'm actually, my question is more about, um, I know learning through your books and other books that have been published recently around Ukrainian food, there are many different fillings for Veroniki. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the different kinds of fillings that um, are across the, the, the country? Oh, great. Thank you so much for that, Courtney. What a wonderful question. So, yes, uh, Vareniki can be both uh, sweet and savory. So uh, one of my favorite fillings is uh, cabbage, that, like sauerkraut um, and caramelized onion. You just cook it all together and stuff your vareniki with it. And then you serve it with uh, this crispy beads of fried pork belly. And we call it shkvarki. And it's wonderful. Another filling is actually this uh, tangy Ukrainian cheese. Uh, and you can actually make it savory as well, just with a pinch of salt and, and uh, add richness with an egg yolk, mix everything together, stuff your vareniki. You can make them savory, but you can also make them sweet. And uh, this is the variation I grew up eating, uh, those sweet um, cheese dumplings. And we finish it either with honey or with a mixture of butter and honey. And it's just lovely. But uh, in the Western part, my husband grew up eating those savory also with uh, either with caramelized onion or mm. uh, crispy bits of uh, that pork belly. And another one I have in my book, which is very special, is dark cherry vareniki. And I usually made them in Ukraine. Of course, I made them with sour cherries, with that um, amazing produce we have in uh, our hometown because we have an abundance of sour cherries. And here it's so hard to find them fresh. So I just buy them frozen from uh, an Eastern European market or you can find them uh, also in the freezer section in the Middle Eastern market. Yeah. A uh, couple other uh, comments. Thank you so much for that, uh, Courtney. A couple other comments coming in that are that are pretty fun. Uh, Sarur writes, I'm delighted to hear that Ukrainians love the sour flavors. Persian cuisine uses lemons and limes and almost every savory dish. I'll be sure to look into Ukrainian cuisine. Jill writes in to say, I'm intrigued with all this talk of Ukrainian food. I just ordered uh, Anna's book. Thank you for sharing. 
And uh, Lou writes in to say, uh, I make uh, kefir. I think that's how I say it. At home with some leftover kefir plus milk in a bottle or jar. I let it ferment on the sink overnight or a little longer. And every month or so, I buy another new bottle to refresh the culture. Um, and I want to ask you about your mom coming out to stay with you. Um, I, I was really intrigued by kind of the image. Your mom came out for five months yeah. um, after the war began. And I wonder, you know, having learned, you know, at her knee in the kitchen in Ukraine and then having the war go on and having her be, you know, in your new home territory in this adopted hometown of San Francisco with you. Um, what was that like? Oh, my God. Uh, so first of all, I was so happy to have her with us here. And we had so much fun. Most of the time we were spending time in the kitchen. So we we're just cooking nonstop. We hosted a bake sale slash uh, cook sale. So we made a ton of borscht. Sampampushki, she made her famous uh, crepes stuffed with sir. You call them blitzes. Uh, we call them mlinci. And uh, what else we made? Oh, my friend made, made honey cake. And we just um, sold them, uh, like packed everything in a beautiful box uh, with Ukrainian sticker. And we sent money to support Ukraine. So um, she helped me a lot with those uh, fundraisers. And um, she helped me to test some recipes as well. And especially chibureki, because uh, she's a master of chibureki. And we actually had some friends over who wanted to meet my mom for a long time. And mm. finally, she was here long enough to meet everyone. <laughs> <laughs> was there a food that you turned to together? Kind of just the, the comfort food, just knowing everything that was happening in Ukraine? Uh, so one of the dishes... My husband and I ate for like 10 days was our olatki, which are fried pancakes. And uh, the whole month was so devastating, but especially those uh, first few days. And we couldn't eat anything except for those pancakes. And they just nourished us through those tough times. And when my mom came, she made us um, this lovely vareniki she she loves making vareniki, and she made them with different fillings. And this is, she, she always does this, and she fills my freezer with vareniki. <laughs> and then for the next couple of months, I'm just so happy just cooking them and knowing that I always have dinner. Yeah, little frozen pieces of mom's love. Yeah, and out. they're like, yeah. they're the best freezer food. Yeah, that's so good. Um, did you teach her any new tricks? Was she sort of like, oh, you're doing it like that now, huh? Oh. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, well, I was uh, in a culinary school, and of course I picked up a few tricks. So first of all, I made sure she improved her uh, knife skills, <laughs> because in Ukraine, if you will go and check uh, anybody's kitchen, it's always full of dull knives. And I'm like, Mom, please stop it. And I taught her how to sharpen a knife and how to hold it properly. That's great. We have been joined by Chef Anna Voloshina uh, about her new cookbook, Budmo, Recipes for My Ukrainian Kitchen. It's part of our All You Can Eat series on the food cultures of the Bay Area. Anna, thank you so much. This was just really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you so much for spreading love for Ukrainian cuisine and Ukraine. Wonderful. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.